0: You see his personal on the tree, you see it on on the screen. Our focus has been on Jesus as he's connected face-to-face with different individuals in the New Testament Gospels. Even though Jesus is the creator and the ruler of the universe, we have the privilege of coming to him face-to-face, person-to-person, and finding in him grace and mercy. We began the series with a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus, and then we looked at a Samaritan woman who was at Jacob's well. Last week, we looked at a paralyzed man who had very good friends who worked hard to arrange a personal meeting between Jesus and the paralyzed man. Today, we're looking at two people faced with desperate circumstances who came to Jesus for help. A man named Jairus and an unnamed woman. I think all of us in our families have stories of times when we were desperate. Just for an example, my, my father's younger brother became desperately ill. And my grandfather, who had done well in construction, had uh, spared no expense to try to find a remedy for that child's illness. Took him clear across the country to different hospitals, and took him to different parts of the country to be prayed for. And the son died. And there was an empty space in our family and a pain that lasted throughout the rest of my grandfather's life. For many of us, we have felt that desperation of being trapped in a hopeless situation. Maybe some of you are trapped there now. And when we're in that place, our thoughts are, where can I find help? How can I get through this? And the answer is found in the two stories from Mark chapter 5 that we heard read this morning. Mark treats these two stories as one, And together they make the point that our best resource, our best source of help is Jesus. And our best action is to learn to trust him. What we need is personal faith. My faith in one person, Jesus. Now Mark links these two stories together by what they have in common. First, they're both about women. One older, one younger. And in the story, The younger, the father of the younger, plays a major role, Jairus. Also, both women are seriously ill. The older one has been ill for a long time and has invested all she had in seeking help with nothing but painful disappointment to show for it. The younger was ill and it's clear that she's dying. So we can summarize by saying that both situations were desperate. The third piece that links the stories together is the number 12, it's an important number in the Bible. You see Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, having 12 sons. Then Israel, the country of Israel is divided among 12 tribes. The, The children of Jacob, there are 12 disciples. In the heavenly Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, there are 12 gates. The number gets our attention. The older woman has been ill for 12 years. The younger woman was 12 years old. The story happens in Galilee. Jairus, the father of the younger woman and a leader of the local synagogue came to Jesus asking for his help, saying, my daughter is dying. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark 15. If you use the Pew Bible, it's page 765. Look at just two verses right now, verse 22. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet Pleading fervently with him My little daughter is dying He said, please come and lay your hands on her Heal her so she can live He was desperate How desperate was he? Galilee was a small part of the country And news got around quickly in Galilee Jesus had cast a demon out of a man on the Sabbath And what happened? His own neighbors tried to kill him For what he'd done Later, on a Sabbath, he healed a man with a withered hand. And what happened? Pharisees began to look for a way to kill him. Jesus was rapidly becoming an enemy of the religious leadership. In other words, the peers and companions of Jairus. He was desperate enough to take the risk of acknowledging Jesus as someone special and unique and asking Jesus for his help. He risked his reputation For the sake of his daughter Jesus agreed to go with him And they started walking accompanied by a crowd A large crowd of curious and excited people Who wanted to see what was going to happen as they pressed their way through the throng of people Jesus suddenly stopped and said Who touched me? Mark tells us why Verse 30 Jesus realized at once that healing power Had gone out from him So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept on looking. He had been deliberately touched by someone. He hadn't just bumped into someone or they bumped into him because healing power had gone out of him. Now, think about this for a moment. If Jesus knew that much Wouldn't it be surprising to think that Jesus didn't know who touched him? I think he did know. And I think he not only knew who touched him, he knew why she touched him. But what he was doing was reaching out to her, inviting her to come to him face to face, person to person, to be further healed and delivered. Think about her illness for just a moment If you know anything about the Old Testament You know that because she was bleeding constantly She was unclean And by Jewish rules Her bleeding made her continually unclean She couldn't go to the temple for worship She couldn't offer a sacrifice And any person who touched her Even accidentally would become unclean Unable to go to the temple Unable to worship It was her job, her responsibility as an unclean person, to advertise that fact. To let people know that she was unclean so that they wouldn't by accident touch her. We see no evidence in the story that she did that at all. All we see is desperation. I've got to touch Jesus. She thought if she could just touch this man, She might be well, as we read in verse 28. She thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And it worked. She was healed in a moment, in an instant. The second she touched Jesus, she felt it happen. It's great. What would have happened? Where would she be if Jesus had just let her slip away privately, quietly? She would have been well, yes. But I think she was an honorable woman. I think she would have gone through the rest of her life feeling some guilt. As if she had stolen something from Jesus against his will. Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. He cared too much about her. In kindness and mercy, he called her to come to him out of the crowd. And when she did come, trembling with fear, And she told Jesus what she'd done. He said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Healing words for her soul, for her spirit. He didn't just heal her body. Now, we haven't forgotten Jairus. He's desperate. He's standing there while all this is happening. To him, the woman was a hindrance. They needed to keep moving. His daughter was dying. Their life was hanging in the balance. What words do you think would describe Jairus in that moment? Just throw some words at me. Don't be bashful. Despair. Impatient. Anxious. Looking for another A word. Angry. Angry. I think probably all of the above. This woman was thwarting his plans for his daughter. They've got to keep moving. And then there's another interruption. Messengers arrive and tell them, tell Jairus that his daughter's dead. And that he could quit bothering the doctor. Now what would describe his feelings, do you think? <laughs> Bear pardon? I don't, I don't think I heard that. My, I, I'm supposed to get hearing aids, I think. Uh, he's very frustrated and probably feeling quite lost. And, and I think he must have thought, if he didn't even say it, if only, if only that woman hadn't interrupted us, we might have gotten there in time. If only, those two words we use a lot. And they're almost never helpful. But we use them if only I hadn't done that. If only they hadn't done. Jesus looked at him and said, don't be afraid. Just have faith. So we need to add a fourth word to our list of words that link these two stories together. It's faith. Or as we're talking about it today, it's a personal faith. Faith in a person, faith in Jesus. It's it's highlighted by Mark in these verses. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. And to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Back to the story. Mourners met them as, as they arrived at the house. And Jesus said to the mourners, Child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And they responded to him with laughter. These were probably professional mourners. That was a a job in Palestine in those days. Professional mourners, they would be hired to come and make a lot of noise, wailing, weeping, grieving, because under the cover of that noise in the family was free to grieve and mourn without attention being brought to their grief. Because the professionals, sort of covered that over. These professionals knew dead bodies when they saw them. They saw them often, and they laughed. But Jesus sent them away. It's all here, just go, go, leave. You're not needed here. And they obeyed, such is the authority of Jesus. And then his next actions are simple and direct. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed, I guess. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and he told them to give her something to eat. So what we see in Mark's gospel this morning is that Jesus is our best resource. When everything looks hopeless and we feel desperate And it's by faith that we approach Jesus Like the woman, like Jairus Now we started this morning with an invitation to think about our own family stories Or our own stories in our life Stories that involved elements of hopelessness or desperation Someone's ill A relationship is broken down job has been lost. There's not enough resources to do the things that must be done. We all have those stories. We all know those feelings. What's different from us in this New Testament story is that most of the time we don't experience those dramatic acts of divine intervention. Little acts, maybe, small things, but but nothing quite like this. Often, faith doesn't seem to reward our prayers by giving us the thing we ask for. So, just what does Jesus promise us in Mark's gospel? I believe he promises us two things that we need to be attentive to. First, The gospel promises us that Jesus is personally available to every person. From a respected religious leader to a woman who, because of her health, would have been treated as an outcast, an unworthy person. From a person of means and substance to a person who lived on the margin. They were both welcome to come to Jesus. Any person can come to Jesus with their personal circumstances, their personal story. He will not push us away. Who does He push away in the story? The mourners, those who refuse to believe. When He said, She's not dead, she's sleeping, they refuse to believe. It's that refusal to believe that separates us from Christ. Second, we need to operate in faith. Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And he says, don't be afraid, have faith. Well, Mark has given us an answer to the question is, what does it mean your faith has healed you? Look back at verse 30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. What healed the woman? Jesus' power healed the woman. The same power that created the universe, the same power that holds it together, healed the woman. So what was the role of faith in the story? We see it in the woman's actions. They are the, the, the demonstrable evidence of her faith. She went to Jesus and she reached out to touch him. That's her faith. Now her faith wasn't perfect. You almost get the feeling that there was a magic Mixed up in her thinking She almost seems to think That there's some magic woven into The fabric of Jesus' clothing So that she could just Touch it, she would be well that Kind of magical thinking Is not uncommon But it's not faith It's mixed in this case with faith Her faith wasn't perfect But thanks be to God He doesn't require Perfect faith It just requires that we take the step of moving in his direction. It reminds me of an old song. I I love old songs. I like the new ones too, but sometimes I love the old ones. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. And then the response, the chorus is he's saying, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms In the arms of my dear Savior Oh, there are 10,000 charms Going to Jesus is our best step of faith Now look at what Jesus said to drive us for just a moment Don't be afraid, just have faith What was he afraid of? It's real easy, that's an easy answer What's, what's he afraid of? Come on Losing his daughter, she's dying. He doesn't want to do that. What is faith for him? To focus his attention not on her illness, but on Jesus. Faith for us is to focus our eyes on Jesus more than our circumstances. I I read this last week. Um, Actually, it was a... When was I in Tennessee? Two weeks ago? (laughs) I was in Tennessee on a Sunday morning, and I read this. One of the most fundamental statements of faith is this. Your life is not about you. You're not in control. This is not your project. Rather, you are part of God's great design. To believe this in your bones and to act accordingly is to have faith. When we operate out of this transformed vision, amazing things can happen, for we have surrendered to a power already at work in us that can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. That's why I loved it when Deanna brought that up in the offering, that verse from Ephesians. He quotes it here. We have surrendered to a power already at work in us that can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Even a tiny bit of faith makes an extraordinary difference. We're part of God's great design, His plans, even when they run contrary to what we would like. We are part of His plans, and His plans are beautiful. Can we believe this in the midst of our desperate circumstances? We must believe that. probably recognize this actor. In the movie, Stranger Than Fiction, he illustrated for me what this looks like. I hope it works for you. He he plays a character by the name of Harold Crick in the movie, who audits tax returns for the Internal Revenue Service. Not a fan of those guys. One day, he begins to hear a woman's voice in his head that seems to be accurately narrating his life down to the smallest details. Obviously concerned, he goes to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist isn't terribly helpful. So then, because this voice in his head feels like it's narrating a story, he thinks, well, who knows something about stories? So he goes to an English professor at the university, played by Dustin Hoffman. And Hoffman says, well, what's happening? Is this a tragedy or a comedy? He said, I don't know. My life is usually a tragedy. Um, then one day he hears in the background on a television the same voice that's in his head. And he discovers that there's a novelist being interviewed by the name of Karen Eiffel. She's a reclusive author, and he goes to Hoffman and tells him, He says, oh, yes, he knows her very well. She's one of the most brilliant novelists of their time, and she only writes tragedies. And in every novel, the main character dies. This is not good news for poor Harold. He's not pleased. But he's got resources. He works at the IRS. He gets her phone number out of the database. He calls her up and interrupts her as she's writing. And in that moment, they both realize that she is writing his story and she doesn't even know it. She doesn't know he exists. She finally lets the professor read her book. It's not finished, it's the manuscript. And it leads to this conversation that I'd like you to watch. Professor Hilbert? Hi, Harold. No, no, just calm. Harold, I'm sorry. You have to die. What? It's her masterpiece. It's possibly the most important novel in her already stunning career. It's absolutely no good you die at the end i've been over it again and again and i know i know how hard this is for you to hear you're asking me to knowingly face my death yes really yes I thought you'd. Uh, I thought you'd find something. I'm sorry, Harold. Can't we just try and. Just see if she can change it. No. No. Harold. In the grand scheme, it wouldn't matter. But finally, she gives Harold the manuscript to read. Harold always takes the bus everywhere he goes. He takes the manuscript, he gets on the bus, and he reads it. He's on the bus all day long, just doing loops around the bus route until, at night, he's finished the book, and he goes, and he says these words to the author. I just finished it. You just... Yeah, I read it all in one read on the bus. It's lovely. I like the part about the guitars. Thanks, thanks. Good. Well, Look, listen, I'm... No, I, I, I read it and, and I, I loved it. And there's only one way it can end. I mean, I, I don't have much background in literary anything, but this seems simple enough. I love your book, and I think you should finish it. I love your book, and I think you should finish it. Our lives are part of a larger story written by God. We have little tiny bits to play in this story. They seem huge to us. They're part of a huge cosmic story. And faith says to God, I love your story. Even when there's pain for me in the journey. Even when there's disappointment. Even when there's desperation. Faith says, Your story, God, is a great story, a beautiful story. Because you're a great God. And I love your story. There's a place where we've heard this idea before in a prayer that we don't pray often enough in church where we say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Lord your story not the story that I would want to write faith keeps its eyes fixed on God and his goodness not on the difficulties or the suffering of our lives. We sang a a profound line in a song just before the sermon. We're going to sing it again in a moment. And this line is, And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me both now and forever. God, you're so good. You are so good. The good God who writes the stories of our lives and faith, embraces that story in every circumstance.